Episode 13 It was an unpleasant scene. The twins had evidently been trying to smuggle as many toffees out of the house as possible, and it was only by using her summoning charm that Mrs. Weasley managed to find them all. Accio! 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 she shouted, and toffees zoomed from all sorts of unlikely places, including the lining of George's jacket and the turnips of Fred's jeans. We spent six months developing those, Fred shouted at his mother as she threw the toffees away. Oh, and a fine way to spend six months, she shrieked. No wonder you didn't get more owls. All in all, the atmosphere was not very friendly as they made their departure. Mrs. Weasley was still glowering as she kissed Mr. Weasley on the cheek, though not nearly as much as the twins, who had each hoisted their rucksacks onto their backs and walked out without a word to her. Well, have a lovely time, said Mrs. Weasley, and behave yourselves, she called after the twins' retreating backs. But they did not look back or answer. I'll send Bill, Charlie, and Percy along around midday, Mrs. Weasley said to Mr. Weasley, as he, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny set off across the dark yard after Fred and George. It was chilly, and the moon was still out. Only a dull, greenish tinge along the horizon to their right showed that daybreak was drawing closer. Harry, having been thinking about thousands of wizards speeding toward the Quidditch World Cup, sped up to walk with Mr. Weasley. So how does everyone get there without all the muggles noticing, he asked. It's been a massive organizational problem, sighed Mr. Weasley. The trouble is, about a hundred thousand wizards turn up to the World Cup, and of course we just haven't got a magical site big enough to accommodate them all. There are places muggles can't penetrate, but imagine trying to pack a hundred thousand wizards into Diagon Alley or Platform Nine and Three Quarters. So we had to find a nice deserted moor and set up as many anti-muggle precautions as possible. The whole ministry's been working on it for months. Firstly, of course, we have to stagger the arrivals. People with cheaper tickets have to arrive two weeks beforehand. A limited number use muggle transport, but we can't have too many clogging up their buses and trains. Remember, wizards are coming from all over the world. Some apparate, of course, but we have to set up safe points for them to appear, well away from muggles. I believe there's a handy wood they're using as the apparition point. For those who don't want to apparate or can't, we use portkeys. They're objects that are used to transport wizards from one spot to another at a prearranged time. You can do large groups at a time if you need to. There have been 200 portkeys placed at strategic points around Britain, and the nearest one to us is up on the top of Stokes Head Hill. That's where we're headed. Mr. Weasley pointed ahead of them where a large black mass rose beyond the village of Ottery St. Catchpole. What sort of objects are portkeys? said Harry curiously. Well, they can be anything, said Mr. Weasley. Unobtrusive things, obviously, so muggles don't go picking them up and playing with them. Stuff they'll think is litter. They trudged down the dark, dank lane toward the village, 
the silence broken only by their footsteps. The sky lightened very slowly as they made their way through the village, its inky blackness diluting to deepest blue. Harry's hands and feet were freezing. Mr. Weasley kept checking his watch. They didn't have breath to spare for talking as they began to climb Stoatshead Hill, stumbling occasionally in hidden rabbit holes, slipping on thick black tuffets of grass. Each breath Harry took was sharp in his chest, and his legs were starting to seize up when, at last, his feet found level ground. Whew, panted Mr. Weasley, taking off his glasses and wiping them on his sweater. Well, we've made good time. We've got ten minutes. Hermione came over the crest of the hill last, clutching a stitch in her side. Now we just need the port key, said Mr. Weasley replacing his glasses and squinting around at the ground. It won't be big. Come on. They spread out, searching. They had only been at it for a couple of minutes, however, when a shout rent the still air. Over here, Arthur! Over here, son! We've got it! Two tall figures were silhouetted against the starry sky on the other side of the hilltop. Amos! said Mr. Weasley, smiling as he strode over to the man who had shouted. The rest of them followed. Mr. Weasley was shaking hands with a ruddy-faced wizard with a scrubby brown beard, who was holding a moldy-looking old boot in his other hand. This is Amos Diggory, everyone, said Mr. Weasley. Works for the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. And I think you know his son, Cedric. Cedric Diggory was an extremely handsome boy of around seventeen. He was captain and seeker of the Hufflepuff House Quidditch team at Hogwarts. Hi, said Cedric, looking around at them all. Everybody said hi back except Fred and George, who merely nodded. They had never quite forgiven Cedric for beating their team, Gryffindor, in the first Quidditch match of the previous year. "'Long walk, Arthur,' Cedric's father asked. "'Not too bad,' said Mr. Weasley. "'We live just on the other side of the village there.' "'You?' "'Had to get up at two, didn't we, said. "'I'll tell you, I'll be glad when he's got his apparition test. "'Still, not complaining. "'Quidditch World Cup. "'Wouldn't miss it for a sackful of galleons. "'And the tickets cost about that. "'Mind you, looks like I got off easy.' "'Amos Diggory peered good-naturedly around at the three Weasley boys, Harry, Hermione, and Ginny. All these yours, Arthur. Oh, no, only the redheads, said Mr. Weasley, pointing out his children. This is Hermione, friend of Ron's, and Harry, another friend. Merlin's beard, said Amos Diggory, his eyes widening. Harry? Harry Potter? Uh, yeah, said Harry. Harry was used to people looking curiously at him when they met him, used to the way their eyes moved at once to the lightning scar on his forehead, but it always made him feel uncomfortable. Said's talked about you, of course, said Amos Diggory. Told us all about playing against you last year. I said to him, I said, said, that'll be something to tell your grandchildren, that will. You beat Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry couldn't think of any reply to this, so he remained silent. Fred and George were both scowling again. Cedric looked slightly embarrassed. 
Harry fell off his broom, Dad, he muttered. I told you, it was an accident. Yes, but you didn't fall off, did you? Roared Amos genially, slapping his son on his back. Always modest, I said. Always the gentleman. But the best man won, I'm sure. Harry'd say the same, wouldn't you, eh? One falls off his broom, one stays on. You don't need to be a genius to tell which one's the better flyer. Must be nearly time, said Mr. Weasley quickly, pulling out his watch again. Do you know whether we're waiting for any more, Amos? No, the Lovegoods have been there for a week already, and the Fawcett's couldn't get tickets, said Mr. Diggory. There aren't many more of us in this area, are there? Not that I know of, said Mr. Weasley. Yes, it's a minute off. Uh, we'd better get ready. He looked around at Harry and Hermione. You just need to touch the port key, that's all. A finger will do. With difficulty, owing to the bulky backpacks, the nine of them crowded around the old boot held out by Amos Diggory. They all stood there in a tight circle as a chill breeze swept over the hilltop. Nobody spoke. It suddenly occurred to Harry how odd this would look if a muggle were to walk up here now. Nine people, two grown men, clutching this manky old boot in semi-darkness, waiting. Three, muttered Mr. Weasley, one eye still on his watch. Two, one. It happened immediately. Harry felt as though a hook just behind his navel had been suddenly jerked irresistibly forwards. His feet had left the ground. He could feel Ron and Hermione on either side of him, their shoulders banging into his, and they were all speeding forwards in a howl of wind and swirling color. His forefinger was stuck to the boot as though it was pulling him magnetically onwards. And then his feet slammed into the ground. Ron staggered into him and he fell over. The port key hit the ground near his head with a heavy thud. Harry looked up. Mr. Weasley, Mr. Diggory, and Cedric were still standing, though looking very windswept. Everybody else was on the ground. Seven past five from Stokes Head Hill, said a voice.